Well, unless I receive a special revelation word from the Lord halfway through the message, I intend for you to be seated for the entirety of this sermon, even as I shall stay standing. Near the end of the 19th century, the academic discipline of comparative religions was being introduced into universities across the Western world. Scholars attempted to find the essence of all belief systems, a common denominator shared as the same end by all world religions. Adolf von Harnack, a professor of church history, wrote a book that perfectly captured the thought of this period. In his book, What is Christianity? Harnack defined the essence of the Christian faith as the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. And you've heard that phrase before. Harnack was a devout theological liberal, a humanist and a universalist. And this is so apparent in this book that denies the exclusivity of faith in Christ as the only way to God the Father. To be true to Scripture, we, of course, do affirm the universal creatorhood of God. For all people are made by Him. However, He is Father only of those who believe in His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, listen as we read the clarity of Scripture. Speaking of Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the power, the authority, to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The fatherhood of God is not universal. It is not all-inclusive. Rather, it is particular and exclusive through faith in Jesus Christ. Steve Lawson, uh, I've heard him say in person, and I've read him write many times, that every good sermon has only one point. Regardless of how many points we need to make to make that one point. My friend Chris Ball begins and ends his sermons with a PowerPoint 
slide entitled Big Idea. The one main point or the one big idea of our message on this Father's Day is this. For the Christian, to know and experience God as your Father in heaven will strengthen your every role and relationship on earth. To the men here this morning, I would say to know and to grow and experience God as your Father will mold and shape and define and empower you as a father to your children, a son to your father, a husband to your wife, a friend to a friend or a stranger, as a grandfather, a brother, an uncle, an employee, an employer, a brother in Christ, to all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. To the women. I would say to know and grow and experience God as your Father will mold and shape and define and empower you as a mother, as a daughter, as a wife, as a friend, a sister, and so on. To begin to make this biblical case for our big idea this Father's Day morning, and to remind you that, that this Father's Day message on the fatherhood of God is not just for fathers, it is for fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, and I think that covers everyone here this morning. Would you turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 3? And in context, I'm, I'm interested in, in verses 14 through 21, but really I'm going to just focus on the part of this prayer. This is a prayer of Paul for spiritual strength for the Ephesian church and for us but what I'm most interested in, and I've actually become somewhat fixated on this uh, in the last month, as providentially God has, has brought this passage to bear in my life because of two weddings. The first is my daughter's wedding uh, a month ago or so when I spoke to them, the, the first one of my kids, the first of three who were married who, who actually asked me to officiate. But it, it was with some qualification because dad, she said, as I asked about what was most important in her wedding ceremony, is that I keep it short. <laughs> okay. And with that promise, I was allowed to continue. And I asked what passage that that had they been talking about and thinking about and praying about and, and maybe that had come up in their, their premarital counseling and that sort of thing. And, 
and they, they suggested this, this passage, Ephesians 3, uh, 14 through 21, and their focus was on this, on Paul's prayer that, that they, and this is what their, their heart was, they wanted to be rooted and grounded together in love. And then two weeks later, a week later, I went to another wedding, and this very passage was read again as, as a, a part of the scripture reading during the wedding ceremony. And so uh, I've been spending a fair amount of time thinking about Paul's prayer here. And the opening salutation of this prayer by the Apostle Paul, and again, it's a prayer for spiritual strength, is, is very, very important, and the role that it plays even in the greater context of the book of Ephesians is a, th- this prayer is a, a transition that Paul is making from the first part of Ephesians, that doctrinal theological presentation, to the latter part of Ephesians, which is that practical application of all of these doctrinal positions. And Paul begins this prayer in verse 14, and he says, for this reason, well, for what reason? I'm not going to get into it, but the reason you can look at it is is in uh, uh, verses 1 through 5, really, the revelation of the mystery of of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, even to the Gentiles, verse 5. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees before, in the Greek, pater, also Latin, pater, paternal, paternity, patriarch, father. I bow my knees. This was no casual prayer. This was not a casual statement that Paul made about his prayer posture as he's writing this portion of scripture to the Ephesians. This was a serious prayer. This was a fervent prayer, a dedicated prayer, an intentional prayer. And he said, I bow my knees before the Father, before the Pater, from whom this Pater, every Pateria in the Greek, translated in most of your English Bibles as family, which is a perfectly good translation. It's just not a perfectly complete translation because it could be translated, those of you with the ESV might see it in a footnote, it could be translated, and I am choosing to go with the translation fatherhood. So let me say again, Paul says, Paul prays, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. He makes, Paul does this connection between the heavenly fatherhood of God and the earthly fatherhood of all other fatherhoods or families or human relationships, even. 
And Paul's incredible prayer, it continues to the end of the chapter, is that we would be strengthened in our inner being. We'd be rooted and grounded in love. We would know the love of Christ. We'd be filled with all the fullness of God. Why? What's the purpose? What's the goal of this prayer to the Father of all fatherhoods? who himself is the source and substance of every God-ordained, God-created relationship. It is chapter 4 that you'd be strengthened spiritually by your Father in heaven in your roles and relationships in the church. Chapter 5, that you'd be strengthened by your heavenly Father in the roles and relationships in marriage. Husband and wife, chapter 5. That you would be strengthened by your heavenly Father, your relationship to your heavenly Father. Chapter 6, in your roles and relationships in the home, in the world. Yes, as fathers and mothers and children and employers and employees. So our big idea, our main point is that for the Christian to know and experience God as your Father in heaven will strengthen spiritually your every role and relationship on earth. Well, I need at least five. There are probably 50. There are probably 500 in Scripture reasons why The fatherhood of God is going to strengthen you in your relationships on earth. There are five more things that I want to show you this morning about your Father in heaven so that you can better experience this amazing relationship. Number one, God has always desired to be your Father and for you to be his child. I'm going to wrap your your heart around that. God has always desired to be your father and for you to be his child. You see, your father, from before the beginning, because of his great love, and for his own glory, has desired and willed and sovereignly chosen and has perfectly orchestrated with the Son and with the Spirit everything necessary to make himself your father and to make you his child for all eternity. Would you turn again, please, to our scripture reading, 1 John chapter 3. To show you this point, to help us embrace and understand the main point. I need to warn you, we can't get, we're not going to get very far into this passage and It's going to take us a a couple minutes anyway to get through the first word because immediately we hear the Holy Spirit using the grammar of a drill sergeant with the aorist active imperative 
who says, stop and drop right now. Do this one thing now, which is see. Behold. Gaze upon. Stare so as to perceive and take it all in and understand it. See what kind of love the Father has given. What are we supposed to see? We're supposed to see a very special kind of love, sort of love. We're supposed to see a great love. These are all translations of this word that six times in the New Testament is always used in wonder and amazement. We might say in shock and awe. This is not any ordinary, even divine love. This is a stop and take it all in special love of the Father of the Father. We'll see to what end. To see what sort of love, this is, of course, agape, divine love. And it's the Father has given it or he has bestowed it upon us. He has lavished it upon us, some translations. And what's its purpose, this love that we're supposed to stare at in amazement? That we should be called, that we should be named according to the reality of our condition, the children of God. This is no universalist, ordinary everybody kind of love or kind of relationship. And I love how John says, and so we are. So we are what? The children of God, our Father. But don't be surprised. John says, the reason why the world does not know us, they don't recognize us as the children of the Most High God. They don't recognize us as emanating the, the favor and the grace of a God who has desired to be our Father. Why? Because they don't know us as such, and they don't know Him as father, therefore they don't recognize his children. John continues. In fact, I'm I'm reminded when when Jesus was talking to to uh, not only his disciples but uh, to the uh, the Pharisees and and such, and they were kind of going back and forth about well we are Abraham's children, he is our father. And Jesus said, no, you're not. In fact, let me tell you who your father is. Do you remember this? Your father is the devil. 
He's the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning, and that is your father. Those children of the devil don't recognize the children of the Most High God. Verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. It's an amazing thing that we are God's child, that He is our Father right now, but someday it's going to be even better. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. And again, let's jump ahead to chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, to stare, to gaze at more of this amazing father love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, We didn't initiate this relationship. We didn't initiate this love, but rather he did. He loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation, the covering, the remission, the expiation, the atoning, acceptable, substitutionary satisfaction of a holy and righteous judge. Quick, turn, let's stare some more and be amazed. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, And Paul continues with examples of what this spiritual blessing in the heavenly places are, is, verse 4, even as he chose us, elect us, in him before the foundation of the world, so that we would be holy and blameless before him. Now get this, in love he predestined us. For what? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished lavished upon us. God has always desired to be your father, and for you to be his child, and he has done everything from start to finish to make that true and real right now. Point number two, to make the main point. 
Your heavenly Father only and always gives good gifts. In addition to being compassionate, merciful, caring, tender-hearted, long-suffering, and kind, being the perfect comforter and confidant and provider and protector, and we could go on and on and on about the nature and quality of this Father that we have. In addition to this, our Father constantly gives good gifts. And every gift is customized for our good. Every gift is customized perfectly to meet our needs. Do you believe that? Just listen. Just listen to these good gifts, just some, from our Heavenly Father, from James chapter 1. Don't be deceived, brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation, there's no shadow due to change. Jesus in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are human, are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, infinitely more, will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Matthew 6, therefore don't be anxious, saying, what should we eat, what should we drink, what should we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Luke 12, don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, or be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Philippians 4, 1920, Paul says, My God, our Father, will supply every need of yours according to a certain standard. If I promised to meet every need of yours or every need of all of you alls, you might be concerned. You want to know how capable I am, how resourced I am to meet your every need. And not just financially, materially, but, but spiritually. I wouldn't be able to. You know why? I can't meet my own needs. 
apart from my Father. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And Paul just finishes it up and says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells Timothy, For we brought nothing into this world. We can't take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing... With these things will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, children of God, what your Father gives and how much He gives and when he gives, is always motivated by why he gives. Which is, and you know this, for his highest glory and for your greatest good. Do you believe that? Number three. Because your father delights so in you, he disciplines you. As necessary, and it's always necessary. Solomon told his son in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 this, Listen, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. And he does this as a father, the son in whom he delights. Your heavenly father takes delight in you. Refer you to excellent sermon on Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, about four weeks ago, the notes of which are, are loaded on our website. They're so clear. They're so wonderful. One click. Are you gathering them? Are you putting them into, you know, a paper notebook? Are you putting them into a, uh, you know, a, a digital notebook? You, you, you should. What a wealth. And so I refer you to that. Because your father delights so in you, he disciplines you. Number four, the fourth thing that we need to know about our father in heaven so that we might understand the main idea, the big point, the big idea today, is that your heavenly father has his own special name of endearment. Now, we never particularly talked about this with our kids, but we definitely had to talk about it with our grandkids. Because as before the first grandchild was born, Karis sent Kim and I a book on choose your grandparent name or names. And Karis let us know that, that we got one choice, one chance. 
Okay, we better make it good because this was going to be it. And she let all of her siblings know that this was it for all the grandkids. Poppy and Mimi, it is. Do you know that name, that special name of endearment of your heavenly Father? I bet many of you do. And my second follow-up question is going to be, how often, when was the last time you cried out in your prayer? Abba, Father. You have biblical permission. It's not speaking in tongues. It's two tongues, two languages. Okay, Abba, Father. Abba, an Aramaic word that means father, but it, it conveys this, this idea of a, a close, intimate relationship of a father with his child, and also the child's trust, especially a young child who puts in his dad or her daddy. Abba is always followed by the word father in Scripture, and the phrase is found just in three New Testament passages. That was a bit of a surprise. I thought it might have been found more. In fact, Jesus only recorded one time. I'll share that with you in a moment. But together, the terms Abba and Father doubly emphasize the fatherhood of God. In two different languages, we are assured of God's special, tender care for us, his sons and daughters. In Mark chapter 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I almost always, when I'm thinking about that event, that scene in the garden, I go to Luke, because I just, I, I'm, I'm so captivated by, by the agony of our Lord on, on my behalf, that he was sweating drops of blood so I don't go to Mark where Jesus as he was praying to his father he said Abba father dad daddy all things are possible for you remove this cup from me yet not what I will but what you Twice in his epistles, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 and also in Galatians 4 says essentially the same thing. I'll read from Romans 8 and you can look up Galatians 4, 4 through 7, but, but Paul said this, he said, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, what? Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, and if heirs of God, also fellow heirs, joint heirs, with Jesus Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified him. And Paul says, the Spirit of God in you, crying out in your heart, even in your words, Abba, Father, is the kind of praise and the kind of thanksgiving and the kind of relationship and the communication that you need to be having with your heavenly Father, and it will change every other relationship. And finally, the fifth thing that we need to know about our Heavenly Father so that we might grow in our knowledge and experience with Him as our Father is that to honor your Heavenly Father requires, He requires, that you honor your earthly Father. And he promises a special blessing for those who do honor him by honoring him. That you'll live long, you'll live well. Moses, Christ, Paul capture this heart of God to honor our earthly fathers and mothers. It's a big topic that we just introduced today. But honor is the same word that's used to describe honoring God, who alone is worthy of all honor. It means to to value and to esteem highly. And even as the Israelites were at the base of Mount Sinai, breaking commandments one through four, Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai with two tablets of stone, and God himself was etching his commands. And the fifth command is honor your father and your mother that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. In Exodus, in Deuteronomy, throughout the law, throughout the rest of the Old Testament literature, over and over and over again. Six times in the Gospels, Jesus repeats this precise commandment most often as a rebuke to the hypocritical Pharisees and those who were influenced by them, which was most everyone, who devised very clever, intricate, ridiculous ways to avoid obeying this commandment, especially when it came to paying for anything that their parents might need. And then Paul in Ephesians 6 said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is not a new commandment. Verse 2, he continues, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And maybe the definitive New Testament verse on fathering Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, 
Disciplines of a Godly Man, chapter 4, 13 pages, uh, most of it on Ephesians 6, 4. You know, let me admit, let me recognize what some of you are thinking, maybe, even right now. I know that Father's Day is not always a happy day of honor and celebration for a lot of reasons. Fathers uh, have died and they're missed with sadness and with grief or maybe worse with no sadness and no grief. Some fathers have left, have abandoned families, maybe were never even known. Other fathers, addictive, abusive, unfaithful, maybe just uninvolved and disinterested. Other fathers estranged, removed, distant by choice or circumstance. Um, I've been alone all week. I'm alone family-wise, except for y'all. Uh, on Father's Day, Kim's in, in Dallas, and uh, our first, not our first, our fourth, our fifth grandchild was born, fourth to Karis, uh, yeah, fourth to Karis and Thomas. And... Uh, Garrett and Avery are in, in Oklahoma, and he's celebrating Father's Day. Got his text first this morning, really early. And uh, Kaylee's up in Sedona with a friend, and Casey's just moving in to her new place in Victoria, British Columbia. And providential, I'm not feeling sorry for myself at all, because number one, I've, I've needed the time to prepare to share, and it also frees me up to be 100% focused on my mission this afternoon, which is to go visit my father and mother in a care facility here in town. And sad to say, I uh, don't expect my father to be happy to see me. My mother and father both are, are suffering from severe dementia. My father is uh, angry and afraid and even violent. And he has focused in on me, his oldest son, as the cause, the reason for everything that he's hurt and fearful and angry about from having stolen all of his money in his house and stolen his freedom to take his own medication and care for himself and to put him into a place and to take away his keys to drive and 
the list goes on and on and on. And sometimes it can be just a little hard to honor my father until I take my eyes off of him and myself and I fix my gaze upon my perfect heavenly father. And I remember that my dad, when he was seven years old, his dad, who was a Princeton Seminary trained Reformed church pastor stole off in the middle of the night with his mistress who was the family housekeeper and never came back. And my dad has been bitter and angry ever since. He was seven years old. And I've prayed for him, and I've talked with him before dementia, during dementia, and will continue to. But what I'm going to tell my dad this afternoon is, Dad, thank you. I honor you for never leaving Mom, or me, or my brother. Thank you for staying. Thank you for taking me to church. Thank you for praying at meals. And I could think of a thousand things that I'm disappointed about. And it doesn't matter. I have a heavenly Father who. I'm not disappointed about in anything because he alone is the perfect father. And I don't care if your dad has that mug, world's greatest dad, and deserves it. By the way, if you gave that to your dad, I know you were younger than 12. (laughs) Because you haven't been thinking that way since... Because you've realized that your dad, my dad, myself, yourself, lots of flaws, right? And I don't think they make mugs for the world's worst dad. But can I tell you something? The difference between the world's greatest dad and the world's worst dad at a human level is about that big. Whereas the difference between even the world's greatest dad and our Heavenly Father is infinitely big. And our Father says, trust me when I say honor even the dishonorable. And I will bless you because you will learn humility and you will learn about yourself and how much you are loved and how much you are forgiven and how dishonorable you are 
And then you'll grow up in the faith. And you'll grow up in your relationship with me as your father. And I will do wonderful things with your life, son and daughter. And you will be who I created you to be, who I desire you to be. To his highest glory and to our greatest good. Happy Father's Day. Fathers, mothers, sons, and daughters. Let's pray. Father, when we look at you and we look at your love, we really don't know what to say. But thank you, Abba, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for loving us, the unlovely. In Jesus' name.